Well, in that first reading we just heard, Job is having a very bad day, isn't he? Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord. Am I sure? Really? Suffering is awful. We all know that suffering is just terrible. It's hard to be grateful for anything when we're suffering. All we can think about is how to make the suffering stop, how to fix it, how to solve it. Make it end, Lord, please, now. Thank you. And yet, to quote Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, who is a theologian and a longtime columnist for the New York Times, he once said, suffering is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. How do we do that? How do we live the mystery of suffering? Well, Monsignor Albacetti has a suggestion for us. Are you ready for it? Okay. He says that the way that we can really truly enter into the mystery of suffering is to never stop asking one question. And that question is, why? Why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening in the world? Why is this happening to my friend, to my family member, to me? Why? To ask why, he says, is to be human. In fact, Albacetti goes so far as to say this, I hope that my last word as I drop dead is this question, why? Maybe the suffering will be too much, he says, and I will stop asking. But if I do, I will not have died as a human being. It's really important for us to keep asking why, because to ask why in the face of great suffering points to the fact that we're still convinced somewhere deep down that there is a real answer, that there's some meaning, that there's a higher order, that there's a purpose and an ultimate aim, that there is at least some sense left in the world. Why? That was a turning point in C.S. Lewis's conversion, actually. Lewis looked out at the world and he, he, I mean, he lived in really tough times. He saw the world broken by two world wars. He saw upheaval and dictatorships. And at first, anyways, he saw all of that, and he concluded that because, quote, the universe seems so cruel and so unjust, well, then God must not exist. But this argument began to gnaw at him, and it made him very deeply uncomfortable with his own atheism because he started to realize that if he really believed that all of the suffering of this world is really, truly, objectively senseless and wrong, then he was forced to assume that at least one part of that universe, in the vast cosmos, right, all of the billions and billions and billions and trillions of light years, at least there was one place in that whole mess where there was some sense, and it was in his brain, it was in his heart. He could look out and say, there's something wrong here. And he started to realize that, wait, he was asking why. Why? When we ask why, it's only because deep down we know that something has gone wrong and that there really is perhaps an ultimate and satisfying answer, 
a good that we are all seeking. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. We think that things can and should get better. Peter's words from our gospel today come to mind here. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for the answer. Everyone is looking for the reason for why bad things happen to good people. Everyone is looking for an explication for disease and terrorism and war and genocide and betrayal and greed and racism and abortion and broken families and sin and death. Everyone is looking for an answer. And to put that quite a little bit differently, everyone is looking for Jesus. Perhaps at first they look for him simply to alleviate their suffering, as the great multitude did in the gospel that we heard this weekend. Jesus is, after all, a real miracle worker. He can and does work miracles. And he attracted the entire town when he began to cure people of all of their illnesses and driving out all of the demons that were afflicting them. But much more than temporary alleviation, those people that came to Jesus are really looking for someone who knows them, understands them, and loves them. Everybody needs that. Everybody is looking for that without exception. Everyone is looking to be known, understood, and loved. And in a world that is so full of suffering, the only place that we can find that is in the one who suffered for us, the one who is very well acquainted with sorrows. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God. It turns out that the answer to our fundamental human question, why? is not a philosophical argument. It's not a revolution. It's not an election. It's not the newest and latest pill that we can pop. No, the only answer to the problem of suffering is Jesus. But I will warn you, he is an answer that does not seem very satisfying at first. Because when you get to know the Lord, you find out very quickly that he doesn't just fix everything for us right away. Our gospel today made that very clear as well. After Peter alerts Jesus, he goes and bothers him while he's praying, by the way, right? He goes and he's like, he goes and finds Jesus when he wakes up early to find that alone time with the Father. Peter comes and he says to Jesus, everybody's looking for you, probably to receive more and more miraculous healings, more and more, hey, Jesus, fix this, please. What, how does Jesus respond? He says, let us go on to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. He goes away. <laughs> and that's, that response is kind of both funny and very frustrating to me. Instead of sticking around to fix more and more of the people's problems, Jesus effectively says to Peter and the other disciples, it's time to blow this popsicle stand. Let's go somewhere else. We have to keep going. Why? Well, because he's on a mission. Not to completely eradicate suffering here and now on this earth, but to lead people into the mystery of the kingdom of God. And that's what makes Jesus so unique. This is what sets him apart from all the other gurus who promise a quick and easy five-step solution to all of our problems. He didn't write a self-help book. He didn't come just simply to zap all of our problems away. No, his answer is ultimately the cross. And that is a very unlikely solution and at first very unsatisfying solution to the problem of pain. He says, here I am. I'm with you. We're on the cross of suffering together. You're not alone. 
And that's where he teaches us to believe slowly, perhaps, that from the heart of our trials and tribulations, God has not abandoned us. That the Lord will bring perfect healing and justice in the end. We just sang, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted. That is real. That salvation, that healing is real. And we can be confident, even as we hang on the cross and are kind of miserable at times, we can hang there and we can trust that the resurrection is a historical fact. It actually happened. And that's what motivated and propelled St. Paul, isn't it? Who in our second reading this weekend says that he became a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, he became weak. To the Jews, he became like the Jews. To the Gentiles, he became like the Gentiles. Why did he do that? Well, because he was absolutely sold out for and filled with the invincible power of the resurrection. But he still suffered. St. Paul suffered greatly. Scripture tells us that he underwent countless labors, imprisonments, beatings, brushes with death. He was stoned, shipwrecked, whipped, abandoned, betrayed, ignored, laughed at, and constantly surrounded by danger. In many ways, St. Paul is kind of like a New Testament Job, a man singled out by God to undergo feats of heroic pain and trial. And Jesus himself even says in the book of Acts to St. Paul, I will show him what he will have to suffer for my name. But through all, through all that suffering, Paul had one big advantage over poor old Old Testament Job. He saw Jesus. He had seen the risen Lord. And he knew that Jesus loved him, that he died for him, and that he rose from the dead. Already. It was already finished for him. And so that made him afraid of nothing. He spent everything he had, all of his blood, sweat, and tears, to go out and preach the gospel free of charge because he saw for himself that Christ's sufferings did not end in death. St. Paul knew, as we should know as well, right now, right this morning, our Redeemer lives. He is the answer that we're looking for. The answer come in the flesh. That's the gospel. And so Paul cries out, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach that Jesus is the answer. Let's bring it all down here to what we're going through right now. I know that you're suffering. I know that you are. For some of you, I know a little bit, maybe a fraction of what you're going through. But for the vast majority of all of the parishioners of St. Bede, I have no idea what you're facing. But what I do know is this. There is nobody here today who isn't dealing with something very heavy and painful and confusing and hard. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel to you in the midst of your suffering. Woe to me if I don't preach that Jesus is with you, that he loves you, that he knows you, he understands you, and that he is raised from the dead for you. He is the answer that you're looking for, and he offers you himself crucified and risen in the Holy Eucharist that we are about to receive today. He's really here. And so when life gets hard, when things look bleak, when you're experiencing insomnia like Job apparently was, when it seems like you will never see happiness again, when you're asking over and over and over again that human question, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? Know that the Eucharist is the answer. And you can always find the answer himself 
over there in that tabernacle in the Most Blessed Sacrament Chapel. So I will close with these beautiful words of St. Manuel Gonzalez Garcia. And these words are taken from a very, very excellent and small little book entitled The Bishop of the Abandoned Tabernacle. So I'll just leave you with these words. You demons that want to destroy me, illnesses that cause me sadness, disappointments that cause me tears and agony, sins that torment me with feelings of remorse, bad feelings that besiege me, know that the strong, the great, the magnificent, the gentle, the conquering, the most sacred heart of Jesus is here, here in my tabernacle.